In this uh, post-Easter and pre-Pentecost season, we're in a sermon series called Practicing Resurrection. And we're really looking at what does it mean, what did it mean for the early church, and what does it mean for us to live into the truth that Christ, Jesus Christ is risen indeed, as we uh, say on Easter every single year. And what does it mean to live into that truth and do so in the face of an experience that very often seems to testify not to his presence, but to his absence? For we experience as followers of Jesus, not the presence of a living Lord who we can see and, and touch and walk behind, but we live in the faith and the trust that following him is still possible. And that's what it means to practice and live into the resurrection, to believe that his invitations to come and see and to follow me are still very, very much alive and very much answerable and attainable. That what we seek to experience and encounter as we seek to do this is really what this sermon series is all about, because it leads us into a necessity to do some work together with how do we continue to trust this presence in the face of a, what seems to be an obvious absence. And last week we talked about the importance of discussions, the way in which if we do not talk to one another and discuss among one another what it means to follow this Lord, if we don't look at what we believe and, and why we believe it, if we don't participate in these discussions, it's very hard for us to practice resurrection. We have to talk about it with one another, and we have to work at explaining the unexplainable, and yet realizing also, as we talked about last week, that we can only really explain our explanation, and the mystery of God's presence is something about which we often just have to become silent. And so today, one of the companions on this journey of faith as we're practicing resurrection, in addition to discussions, is doubt, skepticism. To practice resurrection, we have to face into this doubt. We have to engage it. We have to sit with it. We have to pray in the midst of it. And the story from the scriptures that I'm going to read this morning is kind of the quintessential doubting passage about the quintessential doubter Thomas uh, in um, you know we don't say Thomas the disciples name without giving him the title doubting Thomas and so we want to look at Thomas's story today and and what his encounter with the risen Christ has to teach us and so we're looking at John 20 verses 19 and following when it was evening on that day the first day of the week and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of our brother Thomas and pray that on this day you will help us by freeing us to know that you have a place for skepticism and you receive us and pronounce peace to us in spite of it, in spite of that skepticism that we might have. So help us to rest in that in-between place and look for the signs of your presence as we together unpack Thomas's story. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the privileges that I've, I've had, especially in the last probably 20, 25 years of pastoral ministry, is that I've, I've had the opportunity to serve in a number of places that have introduced me to the national Presbyterian Church that, that have helped me to travel to places, to especially to smaller groups of people from all over the country and to get to know my fellow pastors and other leaders in, in the Presbyterian Church. And I was at a conference once in Baltimore, Maryland, and there were people there. There were only about 20 of us gathered, maybe 25, and there were people there from all over the country. And there was one, a ruling elder there, not an ordained minister, but a very active ruling elder in the leadership of the church, both locally in his own church and regionally in his presbytery and nationally in the National Presbyterian Church. And each of us had to write this bio in order to go to this conference. And so we read one another's biographies as, you know, it had to be only a page and, and they gave us some guidelines as to what kinds of questions to answer. And one of the things that I learned about this man when he wrote in his bio and I had the chance to read it was that he had written a book and the book had been published and the book was called Crossing My Fingers As I Say the Creed. <laughs> that here was someone and, you know, as I sat with him at, for a meal and asked him the question, just tell me a little bit about that book title. And basically he described exactly what the title was there is that he had a hard time believing one of most of the things that he was saying he was believing as he would recite the creed every single week. And it was kind of fun actually to be with him. And, uh, and he wasn't at all brash about it. In the back of my mind, I'm saying, what the are you doing here? <laughs> How can you write a book from that title and, and you know, be in this context? And, and the more that I talked to him, the more that I realized is that there was something in this guy that though there were many things in the Apostles' Creed that he could not say he believed, even though to participate in the liturgy, he said every week he believed them, he was still there every Sunday. 
there was still something about this man and his faith, whatever it was, that believed that God was enough of an issue to show up to church every Sunday. And I had this sense as I talked to him that although he couldn't accept these mysteries, like the resurrection and a number of other things that are mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, he had a sense of needing to know that there was a God and that that God, I think he had a sense that that God was holding on to him as well. He had a hard time believing the things that he said he believed, but there he was. There at this event and there at church every Sunday. He felt some grip on him that was worth pursuing. Faith and doubt, I don't think, are opposites. It's not that faith and doubt cannot coexist with one another. I think they can. Faith and doubt, I believe, are often companions. Skepticism doesn't disqualify us. In fact, it often puts us in conversations with God and with others that help us to grow in the faith. Thomas is sort of the poster boy for the way in which faith and doubt come together there in this post-resurrection story late in the Gospel of John as the disciples are trying to deal with what it means to have watched Jesus die and to deal with the reports of, of his resurrection. And Thomas is kind of the poster boy for the Christian skeptic. And what's interesting to me about this story in, in John 20, in verse 19, is that the story begins with a statement and the actions, a depiction of the actions of the 11 other disciples who, or actually it would be 10 at that point because Judas was gone, the 10 other disciples minus Thomas, who were living in fear. They were locked away in a room and John says they were afraid of the Jews. What does he mean by that? They were afraid of being turned in as followers of Jesus. Here their master and leader had been crucified as a, a kind of Roman rebel, given up to the Romans by the leaders of the temple and the, the religious aristocracy of the day because largely rabble-rousers were not a good thing to have around a traditional religious community that was just trying to keep Rome off its back. And so Jesus, in some ways, had to be done away with because life was just too hard for the religious leaders if Rome feared some kind of insurrection. So the disciples were afraid, afraid that they would be next. And so they were locked away in a room trying to deal with the reality of this reported resurrection. And the followers of Jesus were wondering fearfully if they were going to be next. One of the biggest assaults on faithfulness is, is not skepticism and doubt, but I think the biggest assault on Faithfulness is what causes often skepticism and doubt, and that is fear. And that's certainly the case in this passage. 
Because fear prevents risk. Fear discourages exploration. Fear encourages isolation. Fear casts out that openness of love that Jesus talked about when he spoke of how perfect love casts out fear. So what happens in this fearful place is that Jesus shows up and his first words are not, you cowards. His first words, or you unbelievers, you wicked unbelievers, his first words are, peace be with you. His first words are about calming fear. It's a thrice repeated phrase in this text, peace be with you. It's the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth in each of his encounters, first with the 10 disciples, and then he repeats it. And then again with Thomas later on in the text, peace be with you. He doesn't start with chiding, he starts with a blessing, a blessing of peace. Peace in the Hebrew sense of that word shalom doesn't mean just the absence of hostility. It doesn't mean just sort of a calm, silent, meditative stance. It means the experience of God's best. Shalom is literally the wish for another, the prayer for another, that they might know God's best. It's the wish for God's best for the other, for oneself. And it's why Christian liturgy has within it always, every single Sunday, just that simple, simple exchange, the peace of the Lord be with you. It's what we can do for one another, is to remind one another of Jesus' primary blessing to us. So Jesus shows up and Jesus blesses and loves, and in doing so, what he does is he casts out fear. And then we have a, an interesting text that some people call, uh, or biblical scholars, they call it the Johannine Pentecost. In other words, John's version of the giving of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to his, breathes on his disciples, spirit and breath being the same word, breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and then pronounces this blessing, including them in the whole act of forgiveness, and including them in the whole act of pronouncing forgiveness. And then he says, now go. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Go. And do so knowing that peace is with you. So the next scene is the one that includes Thomas. Thomas shows up at the next gathering and he's told that the Lord has appeared and is risen. And he says, well, you're going to have to show me a little bit more than just your testimony for me to believe that. I need not just a story, but I need a flesh and blood encounter and then I'll believe. And a week later, he gets it. And when he comes back, not much has changed. The doors are still closed. Perhaps fear is still ruling. I don't know why John included that little detail, but that's one of the things that I discerned from it about the doors being closed. And then Jesus gives those words to Thomas that he gave to everybody else, peace be with you. 
He doesn't address his skepticism, but he gives the same greeting that he gave the others. He doesn't address that issue of skepticism, but it does address the fear that is no doubt behind Thomas's skepticism and says, I'm here, Thomas. Be careful what you ask for. <clears throat> Give me your hand. And Thomas believes, and Thomas confesses faith, my Lord and my God. Jesus says what we all know, that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. But then he says something that's interesting, that not everyone will get the same chance as you, Thomas. And this is what John is giving us at the end of his gospel to remind us of something, to remind his readers, his listeners of what is true, that many of you have not seen Jesus, though it has happened not long ago. Many of you have not experienced the flesh and blood reality of the living Lord risen from the dead. So not everyone will get this chance, Thomas, but blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Blessed are those who will never encounter me in this way that you have and still believe. And John's talking about us. He's talking about the readers of his gospel and pronouncing his own blessing on us for gathering here this day and saying, yeah, it's worth showing up for. A couple things that I got questions about, but it's worth showing up for. The dance of skepticism and belief will always be with us in some form. It's like that story of Jesus healing the epileptic child in, in Mark 9. And when he asks the father of this child about the father's belief, the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's really one of the prayers that we pray almost every single day. Here was this one who pursued Jesus, who hoped that Jesus could help him, but also couldn't be certain that anything or anyone could change what had become the norm in his life of this son who would throw himself on the ground in violent epileptic seizures. So the dance between skepticism and belief will always be with us because the dance between fear and love is also always going to be with us. But in the face of this, the advice of this passage is to listen for that blessing that Jesus is always ready to give. Peace be with you. God's best for you. Your fear is not the last word. What is the last word is my love. And your fear cannot diminish the power of my love. Let's pray. Help us, O oh God, to dwell in the light of your peace, to know that your desire for us is the best, the things for which you created us. And help us to rest in that place and to so find boldness and courage that grows out of love and allow your perfect love to cast out our fear. For we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.